Hello and welcome into this week's edition of the Rookie Stripes podcast here on Racing News Now. I'm Garth Allen and that is Tyler Guthrie. How's it going on this final podcast before the biggest race of your year? Yeah, well, we had the biggest qualifying in Indy 500 history, probably, uh, and got some stats we'll go through later, but it is one of the most interesting qualifying weekends we've ever had, and on Monday practice, it got even more interesting. Uh, Cup Series and uh, actually all three NASCAR Series and ARCA coming up at Charlotte this coming weekend. Um, One of the best weekends in motorsport. And F1 at Monaco. And F1 at Monaco. Sorry, Netflix at Monaco. Yeah, Netflix at Monaco. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, always the best weekend in motorsports uh, this last weekend of May when you have everybody celebrating Memorial Day weekend in the U.S. and then F1 in Monaco, one of the more historic races on the calendar over there, and just how many drivers want to do different sports we've had. People from F1 come over and do IndyCar recently. We've had IndyCar drivers and NASCAR drivers do either ones of those. We've had people do the double. Um, one of the best weekends for motorsports and a good way to celebrate our country's history and the history of F1 and Monaco, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, big weekend coming up. Honestly, probably the biggest weekend in motorsports as a whole. Um, so very excited for that. Hopefully everybody's ready, uh, for some great racing, at least out of one race this weekend. I can't necessarily promise that out of Charlotte, um, and probably can't promise that out of Monaco, but Indy should, I would assume be great racing this weekend at least. Yeah. The Indy 500 seems like it'll be a really great race. If the cars can race as close to each other as we have seen them in practice so far this week. Um, but no, I I think Charlotte's going to be pretty good for the cup series. It was pretty good race last year. Um, I thought the next gen cars do pretty well on the mile and a half. And even though I think we'll probably have a dominant winner, uh, I think it'll be a pretty good race mid-pack. We'll just see if Fox Sports can actually focus on the mid-pack battles instead of following the leader all the way around their track for 600 miles. Honestly, I don't remember the Coke 600 last year at all, so I don't know if it was a good race or not, but the fact that I can't remember it seems to suggest that I didn't think it was good. Um, and mile and a half have been hit or miss this year. Let's not beat around the bush with that. They were good for the most part last year, but... Vegas wasn't good. Kansas was good. Kansas was really good. Uh, But not every mile and a half this year has been good. So just because it's a mile and a half doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be really good. And Charlotte itself has been very hit or miss since the repave because they use that whatever it is that they used to repave Texas and Charlotte and a lot of these recent tracks of I can't remember where I saw this at but they were talking about how like a lot of these tracks they thought they were developing this really good asphalt that could um with stand up for a long time and they wouldn't have to repave again for a long time which if that's all you're going for they did a really good job but the problem (laughs) is because it lasts for so long it doesn't age it doesn't wear and doesn't end up producing good racing for a lot longer than it would normally. They used like some sort of like composite balls or something inside of it that made it last a lot longer than like old types of asphalt that they would use. So 
Um, I think they've realized that while that does save them money in the long term, they won't have to repave the tracks again for a long time. It also makes the races at these tracks very boring. So I hope that the next time we repave a track, it's with something that wears a little quicker and gives us good racing sooner. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I'm with you on that. Charlotte's been very hit or miss the past several years ever since they repaved it, but I'm hopeful that this year will be a hit year for Charlotte. Um, everybody seems to think that Charlotte last year was a pretty good race uh, from what I've seen. I don't think I watched it last year either because I got stuck in traffic coming home. You just said you thought it was good last year. I've said that people have said it was good. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's rewind that. <laughs> but no, I, I think Charlotte's going to be pretty good for the Cup Series. It was a pretty good race last year, I thought. <laughs> well, let's let's go to the replay here. Uh, you said you thought yeah, you thought it was good last year. We're going to edit in a rewind. Here. That's right. That's exactly. We've we've already done that for the folks watching or listening. They've already yeah. they've already seen or heard that. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> No, I think it'll be a good year for Charlotte. Um, I think this will be one of the tracks that the next-gen car kind of hits on. Um, I, you mentioned Las Vegas is bad. I think that's just because Las Vegas is bad. Yeah, um, You're never really going to have a good race on a track in the desert like that where it's just hot. I mean, it's uh, better than it was before they put in the banking. Flat yeah. Vegas was terrible. It, well... Most flat tracks in NASCAR are pretty awful. Yeah, Homestead was really bad until they put in the banking. Now Homestead's really good. Yeah, now it's awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. Even, well, as much as I hate to say this, Cup Car didn't race at Indy very well for a long time either. Although, I would love to see how this next-gen car does at Indy. Yeah. But on that same token, I feel like we'd have the same problem that we've been experiencing on short tracks lately, where single group tracks, they're just awful. But I think Charlotte, where it's a multi-groove track, you can move around, you've got guys that can run the bottom, you've got guys that can rip the top. I think it'll be okay. Um, Do you, though? Because that's the thing with the surface having not worn very much since the repave. That top doesn't come in as well. Right. So early on, soon after a repave, it's generally a one groove track. So it takes a while for other grooves to develop. And again, I don't remember last year's race. So I don't remember if we had multiple grooves. Maybe we did. I genuinely don't remember. Yeah, I guess we'll see how it goes this year. But even though I think Kyle Larson will run away with it like he did at the All-Star race this weekend, that's a little, little pick for later. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> No, I think it'll, if it's not Larson... Spoiler alert. If it's not Larson, it's going to be one of the other Hendrick cards because they have been miles faster than anybody else this season. Um, but this weekend was kind of awful for the All-Star race. We did have a little bit of strategy in the first stage, but honestly, NASCAR shot themselves in the foot with a yellow flag again because they did the all-star caution, whatever the hell they decided to trademark it as in the middle of the race. And like we had a little bit of strategy going, and then it just all went straight out the window as soon as they threw that caution, and it just kind of ruined the race. Yeah, see, the thing with the, the cautions in the middle of the all-star race, in the past... They've made sense because they've been part of the format. 
Right. So you this have year like, was just like you split the race halfway. Right. Because like in in years past, you'd have like inversions at different points during these cautions or whatever, or um, they've they done have other like things with those cautions. Five in the past. different segments of the race. Yeah. And like some guys would be able to get tired. Some guys wouldn't. Some guys are starting the front. Some guys are starting the back. And I always thought that was fun. Um, I don't remember how they did the all-star qualifying for this year did they, that was they did the pit heat stop challenge the pit stop challenge was a qualifying so so they did, i always uh, remembered they used to do like the two laps where you had to pit at whatever mm-hmm. speed you possibly could and i always thought that was entertaining to watch yeah so they did a pit stop challenge and that ended up setting the starting lineups for the heats and the open is what it did so then right. the heats set the lineup permanently for the all-star race and then um you had the three extra get in from the open um but the pit stop challenge i thought was cool um it wasn't quite as intricate as the pit stop challenge that they used to do at charlotte which i always thought was cool growing up but at the same time it felt more like a relay race than an actual pit stop challenge because they'd have like they'd get done with the pit stop and then they'd end up pushing the car so far to get to like a finish line, and that was part of their time. Whereas in this case, you literally had the cars just lined up on pit road. They would drive like three stalls worth of distance down pit road, go into their spot, they'd get their pit stop done, they'd drive another stall or two, and that was the time. Um, So this was, I think, more of probably an accurate pit crew challenge to show who really had the best pit crews. And I know Ty Gibbs gets a lot of flack, but I'm going to give him some credit. his crew won the uh, pit stop challenge, which put him on the pole for the open. And when they interviewed him afterward, he literally could name every guy on his pit crew. How many drivers can do that? Honestly, I've always thought it was weird that some drivers couldn't. Because I know uh, Daryl Waltrip, I think it was Daryl Waltrip, it might have been Rusty Wallace when I was still listening to MRN. But one of them said that they couldn't name all the people on their crews. And I've always thought that that was weird. I, I would think that if you're spending that much time with your crew that you, they're would... not spending that much. They're not spending as much time as you think they are with them. No, I, I get that. I just, I feel like it's just weird to be on the team and not know everybody. Cause I've been in groups of 150 marching performers and I knew everybody by name. And it's just kind of, mm-hmm. kind of one of those things that, I guess like the Midwestern person in me is coming out when I'm like, I don't know how you wouldn't know everybody. It, they even have their names on the back of their shirts, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I get that. Um, and I'm not saying that that's right by any means, but yeah, most of these drivers, I guarantee you could not name all the guys on their pit crew. Um, the, uh, who was it? Suarez and Busher who ended up, uh, second and third, so they got the start, the first starting spots for both of the heats. Um, they might be able to name all of their crew members. They didn't try to, uh, but they did give credit to them. I, I liked how literally everybody they interviewed after the pit crew challenge was just like, I don't know why you're interviewing me. You should be interviewing them. They're the ones that got this time and put me where I am right now. I didn't do anything. I just drove like five stalls worth of space, and that's all I did. Right? Yeah. You put the jack down, and they say go, and you go. But Right. I, I do miss the old Charlotte format that they used to have where you'd have like a couple laps, and you had 
come down off of turn four and go straight down the pit lane. I always thought that was the coolest thing to watch. I think we had, like, Ryan Newman is really good at having some sort of, like, cool-ass four-wheel drift coming out of turn four. <laughs> yeah. it, it was just always one of those things. It was like, every time I watched a race, I was like, I wonder what it would look like if they just came full tilt down pit lane after coming off of four. Well, back in and, the day, they used to. Before I know pit road I, speed it, limits. Yeah, which is crazy to think about that they didn't used to have pit road speed limits places. But I just always thought it was fun. Um, I don't think they did a good job with the All Star format this year. The heats and the open was kind of a cool concept because you're going to the short track like back routes kind of deal. But mm-hmm. I think they could have done a lot more in the creativity department than a caution flag at lap 100. Yeah, I I think a lot of it was they, in lieu of having a real format, they were just kind of going with the whole, it's cool to be back at North Wilkesboro, we're just having a race at North Wilkesboro, and they didn't really try to have any sort of a format there, which, if the racing had been better, would have been fine. The problem right. was the racing wasn't very good. Um, it was cool to be back at North Wilkesboro. I mean, I was sitting there multiple times going, I, like having to pinch myself going, I'm watching a live race at North Wilkesboro. The last time they raced at North Wilkesboro, I was four. I do not remember them ever racing in North Wilkesboro. I was alive for the fir- last few years, but I don't remember it. So the fact that I was just able to watch a race that was happening live at North Wilkesboro was really cool. What was it? it just 96 was the last time there at North Wilkesboro? Yep. Well, I didn't even exist for another five years after that. So, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome for that little statistic. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for making <laughs> me feel old. Yeah, you're welcome. But no, the, the cup race was another one of those next gen short track races that was just miserable. The mm-hmm. middle of the first segment, I'm going to call it, was kind of neat, like because they had a caution in the middle of it. And a couple guys pit for tires, and most guys didn't. And you see Larson come ripping through the field with a couple other guys following him. That was interesting to watch, and I was hoping we would get that again. Instead, NASCAR decided to completely ruin it and throw a caution in the middle of the race mm-hmm. that we didn't need. Um, so I thought it was interesting. Uh, obviously, I've never watched North Wilkesboro race, but uh, you've never even watched like a replay of one. No, I. Oh, you need to go back there. The at least the ninety six ones I know are on YouTube. I'm sure there's more than that. You need to go back and watch some. There were yeah. some good races at Wilkesboro. I probably back will at some point. But um, I think it was DW was saying that North Wilkesboro was notorious for having long green flag runs, mm-hmm. and that's fine if you're going to let the strategy part of it play out. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to keep doing the stages stuff and just split it right down the center. You're never going to have a good race, especially when the cars on equal tires are not able to race each other. Right. Um, The truck race was significantly better than the cup race, which is not surprising, I don't think. Um, I just thought it was disappointing that the cup cars, even when they're racing for the million-dollar prize, were just not at all able to race. I just didn't like that. What's weird is even the Open was better 
than the the actual all-star race because there was things happening in the open the open was actually fairly exciting you had gregson running out of talent going down into turn one and just driving straight <laughs> into the pit wall and wrecking three other cars and, and still then, getting the fan vote for some reason well the fan vote had already closed by that point oh, so of course yeah um yeah i think the fan vote closed before the race even started I thought the, didn't they used to have it where the fan vote closed, like in the middle of the race or something? I think so. Yeah. Because when it was still at Charlotte, it was mm -hmm. like they decided to fan vote after the race is already over. Yeah. Uh, Which I like that better. Um, Of course, I don't want to see Noah Gregson getting the fan vote regardless (laughs) of how he's getting it, but... Well, Noah yeah. Gregson's pretty popular, so I don't I don't understand how you can take out half the field at Road America and not get a penalty and still be super popular, but I I guess all you had to do to be unpopular in NASCAR is be a different skin color now, so I I don't understand the stuff with Bubba Wallace still. I will never understand it, but I don't get why hacking into the team radio to Tell him that he sucks at driving, even though he just finished second in the All Star race, is a good idea. Um, and then, and then what? He nonchalantly flips somebody off on national TV, and everybody flips out. And now you've got people that are going through and finding all the popular NASCAR drivers flipping people off, being like, "Oh, well, this is okay." <laughs> like the one where Chase Elliott did the double bird at Kyle Busch a mm-hmm. couple years ago at Darlington, and NASCAR didn't have any penalty for it. Which I will say this about NASCAR. They've been very inconsistent about penalties this year. However, Mm -hmm. they are finally being consistent with a precedent that they set several years ago. And but Wallace flipped somebody off and they're not giving him a penalty, even though half of well, half of Boondocks town is calling for a suspension. Are we sure they're not giving him a penalty? Because they don't ever announce penalties until Tuesday. They I think they said uh, that they're not giving him a penalty. I forget who what reporter I saw tweeted. I didn't see that. I, uh, I believe it was like, I don't know, one of the NASCAR, like, in reporters said that they're not going to give him a penalty for it, which I don't understand. You have this precedent, which I guess with NASCAR, I wouldn't be entirely surprised, but you have this precedent of people doing it, and then if Bubba Wallace does it, then you're going to give him a penalty. That, that doesn't sit well with me, but neither does anything else that happened to Bubba Wallace at North Wilkesboro, so... Yeah, see, I don't I don't understand why anybody that would do something like that thinks you're cool. Like it, like it's not cool, it's not funny, it's not edgy. You you're not cool. You're 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 a loser if you do something like that. Plain and simple. Like yeah. it's not cool to harass somebody like that no matter what your reasoning for is, no matter whether you think you're right, no matter whether you think you're superior to them in some way. That's not right. That's not cool. Like you're just an ass. Yeah, exactly. Like, grow up. Like, that's literally childish. That's that's what kids do. That's not what a grown-ass adult should be doing with their life. I, I just... I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Uh, they asked Bubba Wallace after, I think it was the Open or one of the Heats or something. He got introduced to the crowd and they started booing the crap out of him. And... One of the reporters asked how he felt about it, and he gave an interesting response. He just kind of said, what do you think about it? And it's a good question everybody should ask themselves. I mean, everybody's different than anybody else, and how would you like it if 
you were different from somebody for some reason and everybody just hated you for mm-hmm. no specific reason. Like I get it if he's constantly running people off the track and not racing at a good level and all that, but he finished second in the all-star race. Yep. We can't ignore that regardless right. of what you think about him. He's good at what he does. And I think he needs more respect about that. And I've said that in the past couple episodes, so I'm going to try to get off that point, but it, it's a good point to make. He's been doing very well this season and I don't know when we're finally going to give him the respect he deserves. Now, the other thing I will say, uh, again, the 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 individuals that hacked into his radio and said what they said to him are not anywhere close to in the right. They are losers, plain and simple. But the way Bubba reacts in situations like this leaves something to be desired as well. I did think it was slightly immature that he's just like flipping off the camera for that entire interview. Um, there's better ways to handle that. You can just ignore it. Like, I, I, like, I just, I don't, I don't, he always seems to come off very, very immature himself when situations like this happen. Um, now, should he be in these situations in the first place? Absolutely not. But I do think he could handle these situations a little bit better. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I do think he could handle himself a little bit better, but I also don't think it's anyone else's place to critique him on how he handles being treated this way for no reason, you know? Yeah. Um, So I'm with you. I I think there could be differences there for the better, but in light of the situation he's been put in every single week of his entire life, I'm willing to let a middle finger slide, you know? Yeah. Um, That doesn't do nearly as much to me or society than what other people are doing to him. So, right. I I agree. It's a little childish on his behalf also, but you know, (laughs) I mean, if they're being childish to him, I guess I can't be mad at him being childish right back to them. So yeah, (laughs) here's a little taste of your own medicine, I guess. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, but back to the open though, uh, we didn't even get to the whole Ty Gibbs, Michael McDowell situation, which I thought what I personally thought was hilarious. Um, Ty, um, I, Ty seems to always find himself in these situations. I'm not going to say that he intentionally wrecked Michael McDowell and Justin Haley, but he put himself in a situation. We also can't pretend that he doesn't put himself in these situations. Right, and that's what I was about to say. He put himself in a situation that he really shouldn't have been in. McDowell and Haley were already side-by-side in front of him, and he decides to stick it in there down into turn three and make it three wide, and there was absolutely no room coming off that corner, and he ends up sliding up, getting into McDowell, which wrecks the 34 and the 31, but he keeps on going, actually gets back to the lead. And then I had just texted you right before, and I said, I would not be surprised, and I would not be mad if McDowell pulled a sort of Kenseth on Ty when he comes up to lap him. Because McDowell was still out there on the track 
one lap down. Haley had retired from the race, but McDowell was still out there running a little slowly. And while he didn't pull a full Kenseth, which was probably the smart thing to do, um, he definitely <laughs> got his retaliation and showed his displeasure with Ty by basically running him down to the inside, into the inside pit wall in three and four, which got Ty loose, shoved them both up the track, and lost Ty the lead, and really lost Ty the race. Now, here is the interesting thing about this. If we want to talk about NASCAR being consistent with penalties. Oh, gosh. They penalized Denny Hamlin for race manipulation at Phoenix with his whole situation with Chastain. McDowell changed who won that race. Yeah. That is that is like that is textbook definition of manipulation. Well, he suspended Matt Kenseth for taking out Joey Logano at Martinsville. Kenseth was much more egregious, though. Like he just he didn't even break down into turn one at Martinsville. Just drove straight into Logano and shoved him straight into the wall. So that was a little different. Yeah, Logano had it coming though. Yeah, but <laughs> very similar situation though. Um, right. wasn't, wasn't nearly as big of a wreck as what Logano and Kenseth were, but, uh, very similar situation, very similar in its retaliatory nature. Um, so I am curious to see if NASCAR does anything about this, but I wouldn't be surprised if they don't, because be again, they're, they they're not consistent with anything penalty wise, but if they really want to be consistent since they did it to Denny at Phoenix, they really probably should give McDowell a penalty for this. Yeah. Do I th do I think it's do I think he deserves a penalty? No, but in no. the essence of consistency, they should give him a penalty. I think the fact that you're putting consistency in NASCAR in the same sentence tells you all you need to know about it. <laughs> but this is an interesting perspective that I know has been around an IndyCar for a little bit. Um, it's like a outcome decision based on. Of penalties um it's kind of like if you stuff it down the inside of a car and you stick him in the wall but you keep going you're probably going to get a penalty if you stuff it down the inside and both of you go in the wall probably not going to get a penalty and i i think that's NASCAR probably... can't even be consistent in that way though no but i i feel like that's probably the best way to go here is like ty gibbs still got into the all-star race and I mean, sure, was what Michael McDowell did not the right thing to do? Sure. But it's also, you know, NASCAR coming back to North Wilkesboro. So this kind of like puts in to like the whole NASCAR's back in North Wilkesboro kind of vibe where you got mm -hmm. people taking out other people for reasons. Yeah. But no, I, I think that if McDowell had done a Matt Kenseth and stuffed him straight in the outside wall, then sure but it's a non-points paying race and it's just kind of we're going around for money anyway so i don't mm -hmm. think i don't think there's any reason why you would have a penalty for this nobody got hurt nothing really happened ty gibbs still made it into the final but yeah it, it was a pretty interesting scene um i did think michael mcdowell is probably going to get him back and mcdowell had a funny quote after the race he said or somebody asked him um, why he didn't actually take him out, and he said I, that he didn't have a budget for the fine. Otherwise, he'd still be down there and not talking to the reporter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Michael McDowell's always been kind of funny. I thought, but yeah, no, I, I did think it was kind of funny. Um, 
Ty and Michael are both um, very outspokenly religious. Um, so somebody tweeted after the race, uh, Ty and Michael at church after this race. And it was just a promo video for like WWE Raw with John Cena and The Rock. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good, especially Ty Gibbs at the Jesus car this year. Yeah, exactly. The, the only Ty Gibbs car we're actually going to get a diecast of this year, too, because, you know, Monster sucks. But right. I guess we'll get the Interstate Batteries one, too. Along yeah, the I, other, think I think they're. I think with the other three Joe Gibbs Interstate Batteries cars, right? Which, but, if you notice, they all three are slightly different. They are, yeah, yeah. Because um, uh, I didn't realize which that. Makes me hate it even more, but <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't realize that until I saw somebody point it out on social media. But every one of the four Interstate Batteries cars has some sort of slight difference to it. None of them are the same. Joe Gibbs hasn't made a good paint scheme since like the original Denny Hammond FedEx and the Kyle Bush Eminem's paint schemes. The original Hamlin FedEx, you mean the the flat black? No, the, like the one the couple years where they had it was like the Car Tomorrow era where they had like the different colors for the different that weird looking lightning FedEx. bolt down the side. I was Is like that what those. you're talking about? Yeah, I was like those. I don't like, like the, the I don't like the white and purple he's been doing recently. Yeah. So you're talking like the one he won the 2016 Daytona 500 in that scheme. Before that, when it was like car tomorrow, like 2009, 10, um, when it was like the FedEx air ground, like they had the different colors for the four different parts of FedEx. Oh, yeah. OK, I remember what you're talking about now. Yeah, I always like those. It was kind of a buzzkill in the NASCAR games when you would like go to choose your paint scheme. And it was like, oh, boy, do different. Denny Hamlin paint schemes is the same thing, but in a different color. Right. But I always enjoyed seeing those on track. That's probably more a nostalgia thing than anything else, but I always liked those. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of this white and purple. That they, like, For the most part, I feel like white kills a lot of paint schemes. Like, yeah, white has killed the Napa paint schemes. Like, I don't like Chase Elliott's Napa schemes with as much white as they have now. Like, the Napa schemes were so much better when they were just solid Napa blue. Like Napa blue is such a nice color and the mm -hmm. schemes look so much better when the base of the entire scheme was just one solid Napa blue. Oh, the build on that point, the Hooters paint scheme, when they took it from white to black, mm -hmm. that thing looks awesome in black yeah. and they put it back in white and it's like, I get what you're going for, but put it back to black, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. The black did look so much better for that. I don't know why they, they switched back to white. Yeah. Um, truck race was okay. Um, nothing super interesting happened. Uh, Larson swept the weekend um, in a truck and a, NAS and a cup car that were the same paint scheme for different teams. But <laughs> well, yeah, because HendrickCars.com scheme is starting to get a little old. Well, that's because that's about the only sponsor he can get. Yeah. Well, but... and and Rick Hendrick, I think, actually wants to pay for a lot of his races out of pocket. Like he's enjoying getting that exposure for HendrickCars.com. Right. Which I wonder how well that's working for Hendrick Cars. Like, I don't know. I'm curious to see some numbers on that. I, I wish we could get like some sponsorship viewer advertisement numbers 
Yeah, I don't think that's ever going to happen. For. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But which is, I I think it's interesting now that we talk about sponsorships. Um, the cars that are in the bottom four qualifying for the Indy 500, how much extra on track time that their sponsors are getting? I understand it's like negative viewership, but it's still a lot of viewership, <laughs> especially for uh, Jack Harvey, like. Those sponsors have never seen that much TV time ever, right? <laughs> Who does Jack Harvey even have on the car? I don't know that I noticed a sponsor that whole time yesterday. Uh, it's or uh, Saturday or whatever day it was. People Ready, the temp agency. Oh, is that what that is? I had yeah. no idea what People Ready was. Well, there you go. We just gave some exposure to People Ready, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're killing it on the podcast. Now we just need a People Ready sponsorship, right? <laughs> Or yeah, we can be like Carl Edwards pandering for a Goodyear sponsorship the entire time he was in the booth at Darlington. <laughs> yeah, we need we need Carl Edwards back. Yeah. Now you, go ahead. You want to talk about the Arca race or are we moving on to IndyCar? Yes, I do want to talk about Arca real quick, but before we move on to that, I do want to give a shout out to Corey Heim, who has now moved into the points lead in the truck series for the first time in his career. He is absolutely killing it with Tricon this year, which I am Slightly surprised by, not because of Corey, because before the season started, I said, if anybody can win in a Tricon truck, it's going to be either Corey Heim or Taylor Gray. Corey has proved that he can do that very much. He has run extremely well. Um, I am what I'm surprised by is that these Tricon trucks are actually good enough that he can that he's able to to do what he's doing. Um, and I'm pleasantly surprised by it because DGR trucks in the past few years have not been the greatest so i wasn't super confident he was going to have the trucks he needed underneath him but it seems like he does either that or he's just that good that he's making mediocre trucks better which i wouldn't be surprised by that either because i think Corey heim is has the potential to be an elite level talent one of these days once he gets to the cup series so the the fact that he could possibly be elevating mediocre trucks would not surprise me in the slightest yeah, and if a driver is elevating mediocre equipment, that just bodes well for the rest of his career. Yep. Because uh, you're not always going to have the top equipment. And if you can do well in middle to low tier equipment, it just makes you that much better when you get into top tier equipment. We've seen that with people like Kyle Larson, who Chip Ganassi was not the best in Cup Series. I don't mm -hmm. think they were ever very good, but Larson they, made they that had car. He made that car a lot better than it should have been. Oh, he absolutely did. Ganassi had a period where they were really good. Like 2002-ish, when Sterling Marlin made a championship run, they were pretty good about then, but it, they kind of fell off after that point. Uh, but yeah, in, in the years that Larson was there, no, they were absolutely not super great cars, and he made those cars much, much better than they should have been. Okay, on to... Arca East from Flat Rock, the Dutch Boy 150. The biggest Arca race of the year. Yeah, right? <laughs> Which, Their advertisements tell you so. Right, or or Charlie on every broadcast tells you so. <laughs> um, it did not deliver. Absolutely did not deliver. I mean, it was decent. I'm not going to say it was a terrible race, but for all the hype that they put into this race, it didn't deliver there were there were interesting things about it 
Like, it was cool that Billy Venturini ran so well. He ended up in fourth for the first time he's been in a car since, I think, 2006. So the fact Damn. that he could, yeah, the fact that he could go out there and still finish fourth against all these extremely talented kids that are out there uh, says a lot. Also but says a lot to the uh, performance of the Venturini car in general. That too, yes. Um, but outside of that, there wasn't a lot to talk about for this race. I mean, Luke Finhouse led. Uh, no, he didn't lead any laps. I thought he led at one point. I guess he didn't. Sean Hingarani led a lot of laps in this race. He led 102, dominated a lot of the early portion of the race, and then I think used his stuff up and fell back to third late, and we ended up with another William Sawalich win. He led the last 48 laps, about the last one-third of the race. Big shocker, the 18 JGR car wins again. Um, that being said, LeVar Scott was running him down at the end of the race, just ran out of time, so it would have been interesting to see what LeVar Scott could have done I did get really annoyed with this race, especially early on, because we only had like five up to speed cars in this race out of the 16 cars that were in this race. So on a quarter mile track, your up to speed cars are going to catch your slow cars very quickly. And it became a traffic jam very quickly. It became more a game of dodgems than it was a race. Like it was more the leaders just having to dodge lap traffic than it was them actually racing each other. So that got very annoying in the middle of the race. I just and and, and I've had this gripe about slow cars in the past, and I've been told that I'm wrong. So, um, yeah, you know, (laughs) it won't be the last time I'm told that. Um, I just, (sighs) something needs to be done about that. I, I, I don't know what you do about it. I really don't outside of just raising minimum speed, but something really needs to be done about this. Cause I, I think it really hurt the racing product in this race when you're literally catching one to two lap cars, every single corner after like lap 15 and a run. If that, I mean, some of these slower cars were slower than that, so. Especially on a quarter mile track, like that, that's pushing it for as small of a track as you can have a stock car race on. I think half mile tracks are good if you have 20 or more cars, but anything shorter than that, you only need like 10 cars to make it a pretty populated racetrack and. 10 cars on a quarter mile track isn't really going to be a recipe for amazing racing anyway. So as much as I like to see stock cars on small tracks, like we're pushing it with 16 cars on a quarter mile track. Well, and here's, here's the thing. The last five cars, none of them made it past lap 42. So most of them were either starting parks or they parked it fairly early. So there were really, after like lap 42 there was only 11 cars on the track and it was still it was still a mess so, so a third of your cars are out and it's won't yeah even like, show up exactly like this race i genuinely feel would have been a better product with 5 6 7 cars yeah and i've made that argument in the past and i've been told i'm an idiot because 
more cars equals better racing because we always need more cars. Except that we've had ARCA West races in the past on uh, either three-eighths mile track or a half-mile track, or maybe both, with like 11 cars, and they've been some of the best races I've ever seen in my life because you had the five competitive cars up front under a blanket racing for multiple laps under a blanket. And then you get these slow cars out here screwing all of that up and just being in the way because they don't know where to go, or how to get out of the way. I... Right. And especially with the amount of experience that they don't have at that level, it's really hard to ask a driver in a not very good car with not a lot of experience to understand how to get out of the way much less to make it on a quarter-mile track. There's not a whole lot of places to get out of the way mm -hmm. and still run a competitive race at the same time. Right. A again, I don't know what you do with it outside of raising minimum speed and excluding people, but at the same time, Arca's always like, we want everybody to come and race with us. Well, and this is what you get. You get lackluster product because there's too many slow cars in the way and your leaders can't race. I don't know. This is not I'm the probably last time we'll have this rant on this podcast. So. I'm sure it's not, and I'm sure we won't get listened to that time either. And <laughs> there's a reason that I, I guarantee you, since this race ran in the middle of the heats for North Wilkesboro, I don't think ratings were very high on Flow Racing for this. Probably not. I would be interested to see that number, though. I would, too, uh, but I don't think those numbers get published. Uh, probably for good reason in this case. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it's just, it's not encouraging to see races like that where just so many cars are so far off the pace it's not even fun to watch. And sure, mm -hmm. most of them were gone by, like, lap 50, but by then the leaders are so spread out anyway because of this that it's hard to reel them back in and make it competitive again. So, yep. Too many cars on a track that can't really have that many cars on it, and we've run into that problem in the top three series, I think, a couple times with half-mile tracks like Bristol and Martinsville. Still put on good racing, and it's kind of part of the racing to be able to get around the slow cars, but there's a point where slow is slow, and maybe you just shouldn't be here. Yeah, exactly. Like, at that point, what are you getting out of it? Like, genuinely... What do you get out of being on the track and just being a moving chicane, being 40 mile an hour slower than than everybody else? Like, genuinely, I, I would genuinely like to know the answer to that. Like, if any if any of these drivers are watching right now, I, I invite you to reach out to me and come on to this show because I genuinely want to know what you get out of that. Hey, maybe I, they're I just, practicing I can't... to be in the GT3 level at Le Mans, and they're just wanting the LMP1 cars to go flying by. Right? Like, I I just can't imagine that there's any enjoyment in that, because it, I know, what are you I gaining out of that? Because even, even, like, even if you're in a GT3 car and getting blown by by LMP1s, you might still win your class, so right. you're still doing something. Well, you're but, still winning your car, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but what it what good does it do you to run eleventh in an ARCA race of sixteen cars 
and you're 40 mile an hour off the pace and you you're like 35 laps down at the end of the race you won 11th yeah because uh, that's that's an accomplishment <laughs> i guess i just and i'm not trying to like i'm not trying to be rude or mean to anybody i genuinely want to know the answer to that like i genuinely want to know what you get out of that yeah i don't, I, like I don't a, see it i don't know if it's an experience thing or what but i know i'd be miserable if i was running that far back in the pack and that slow and not able to do anything about it i don't know if you can make the experience argument because half of these guys are like in their 40s and 50s okay so reliving glory days i guess i don't know i guess i don't i don't know and i'm and again i'm not saying just because they're in their 40s and their 50s they shouldn't be out there but at the same time like i don't know i'm not seeing what you get out of that like what 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 enjoyment you get out because you're not even being competitive you're not racing for the win in the race so what do you get out of being in the race yeah i don't know uh, i guess we won't know unless somebody says something about it but i don't know Is but we had a lot of IndyCar. Indy. i think car? i think so so uh we had some IndyCar stuff happening this weekend mr IndyCar expert we have a lot of IndyCar stuff happening this weekend, and it all blew by in a hurry because this was the fastest 33-car field in Indianapolis 500 history. Oh, the fastest um, field? I knew it was the fastest front row. It is the fastest pole speed, the fastest front row, and the fastest field in history. Wow. Um, I don't know where the speed came from over last year. I think it was a little bit cooler this weekend than it was this mm. time last year. Uh, which helps out a lot. But even with the Ray Hall car struggling significantly in the bottom four, it was still the fastest field in history. And I saw this floated around a couple times. It is impressive to require an average four lap speed of 230 miles an hour plus to even make the field, especially yeah. when you consider where this race started in like the 19 before 1910, when we were starting to, speeds of you know you could only get up to 70 and mm -hmm. we're still racing on bricks and it's just interesting to see how far this track the series and the world of motorsport has come in that time can you imagine these cars on bricks well i was talking about this while i was at the track because i was mm -hmm. sitting across the start finish line i don't do that very often i usually sit in turn one mm -hmm. but sitting across from the pagoda the cars don't make a sound when they go over the bricks, but I want to know, do you feel something when you go over the bricks? Because if I run over a patch of bricks on a normal road, like I'm going to feel it. Mm -hmm. And I would feel like you, you might, would feel you might it be going so fast though, that you glide over it. Yeah. That, that's another thing I was thinking, but I'm curious. I, I want to know. I will say in my vast experience playing NASCAR video games, um, in the EA games, there would always be a bit of a rumble when you went across the start finish line at IMS. So I don't know if that's realistic, but that was in the EA games. EA's got the details, but they're right. behind a paywall. EA Sports. It's in the game that's behind the paywall. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, one point. Speaking of IMS, one point I did want to make that I almost forgot about. They touted all of this racetrack revival for North Wilkesboro. And I don't want to take any of that away because it is very cool that North Wilkesboro is back. I'm so excited for that. But they touted it as the first sports venue that has ever 
basically come back from the dead. Hmm. Which interesting. Which is not true. Indianapolis Motor Speedway was abandoned during World War II. Exactly. And Nashville Super Speedway was dead for about 10 or 15 years, and they brought it back now, too. Oh, God, I would cry if we brought IndyCar back to Nashville. <laughs> oh, so, I love that so much. <laughs> so, not that North Wilkesboro being revived isn't cool, because it absolutely is, but I do take exception to them calling it the first sports venue to ever be revived from the dead, because it's not. It's not even the first racetrack to be revived from the dead. <laughs> not even the first racetrack. I'm sure the, the Romans in their Coliseum would have right. something to say to North Wilkesboro about that. Exactly. I, I appreciate the effort for North Wilkesboro. Right. You've you've been overwritten. Yeah. Um, so anyway, back to Indy. <laughs> to go with the uh, incredible speeds that we had this weekend, Alex Pillow has the pole with a four-lap average speed of 234.217 miles an hour. And to give you an idea of how close that is to second place Renus VK, VK had a 234.211. Over four laps, the difference between them was .006 miles an hour. That's close. Yeah, over 10 miles they came within inches of each other. I'd like to see a graphic of that, of how close in, like, actual distance that is. Because that's got to be, like, literally that close. It's, I think it's within a foot. Uh, I feel like it's got to be closer than that. I feel like I we're talking so an inch or two. I tried doing some quick calculations at the track, but I, if I could do math, I wouldn't be in the career I'm currently in. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because six thousandths of a mile an hour is literally nothing mm-hmm. it, it, there's not even a camera that can take a picture in mm-hmm. six thousandths of a second so anything that you think is fast make it 20 times faster and that's how close it was yeah um but yeah we had a bump day another bump day uh another year another bump day um and another year another bump day and another surprise um I guess it wasn't entirely a surprise. It was, I think it was always going to be one of the Ray Hall cars that was going home, which is big because name another sport where you can be in the series full time and not qualify for the main event. NASCAR's got its charter system now. F1, there's always 20 cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's another form of motorsports like that. I mean, yeah. there might World of Outlaws might be like that. I'm not super up with rules in World of Outlaws. They might be like that still, maybe. But it's interesting. I thought uh, to see one of the longtime teams in IndyCar, uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan is owned by Bobby Ray Hall. Bobby Ray Hall's been coming to the Speedway for a really freaking long time. Um, he's won the 500. Graham has come close several times, but Graham Ray Hall is the car that will not make the field of 33 for this year's Indianapolis 500 and the amount of emotion on his face when Jack Harvey bumped him off um which we'll get into Jack Harvey here in a second because that was insane by itself now but, let me ask you this you texted me on Saturday after it after they had the initial qualifying to determine who was in the bottom 4 and you said Graham Rahal bump question mark, 
Was that more of a joke, or did you actually think there was a real possibility he would get bumped? I did think there was a real possibility. Um, all those cars were having major problems on Saturday. Uh, they went and changed gearboxes, all sorts of stuff. Graham Rahal's, uh he, he couldn't even adjust his car on his final qualifying run on Sunday. Uh, it, just stuff like that. Everything went wrong for Ray Hall this weekend. And I was hopeful that Graham could still make the race because I think he would have had a good race car. They just couldn't get the qualifying speed out of it. Mm -hmm. But it's just one of those things. I mean, his dad, Bobby Ray Hall, got bumped out of the Indianapolis 500 30 years ago to the year. Um, 30 years later, his son Graham gets bumped out of Indianapolis 500. And Graham had some interesting things to say when he found out he was bumped out of the field. Um, Indianapolis doesn't give you anything. You got to earn every little bit of it. And this year, he his team didn't earn it. Um, he thanked every member of his team. He signed every autograph and took every picture with every fan on his way in and out of the Speedway both days on a really terrible weekend for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. And I think that speaks volumes to not only Graham, but to the team. Um, they'll be back. He'll be back. It's just one of those things about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And it's what makes it special. He'll tell you, no matter what happens this year, next year, in the Indianapolis 500, Graham Rahal will tell you, this is what makes this race special, and this is why everybody wants to be in it, because of the emotions, the highs and the lows, every year. And that's one of the things that makes Bump Day so special. I, people think, oh, well, why do I want to see four cars that are slow try to get into the race? You should have seen the crowd when Jack Harvey beat Graham Rahal by the slimmest of margins. Yeah. Rahal or Harvey was tracking down. His first two laps were just barely slower than Graham Rahal's first two laps. And his third lap, he went faster. And everybody stood up when he was coming back down the front straight for the last lap and beat him by almost as close as the pole to second place. Mm -hmm. And that's how close it was for 33rd and 34th. It, it, Name me another series that has cars that competitive through the entire field. You can't. I, I don't think I can, no. You can't. You can't even do it with NASCAR and Cup Series. No. Rick Ware cars aren't that close. That being said, though, Ryan Newman has done a lot better with those Rick Ware cars than anybody has ever done with those. I think Ryan Newman's also the best driver to ever be in a Rick Ware oh, car. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think there's any question about that. Well... I mean, wasn't uh, Roman Grosjean in a Rick Ware car for like a year in IndyCar? Well, I'm thinking just NASCAR <laughs> Rick Ware I'm cars. I'm just saying, best drivers yeah. to ever be in a I Rick mean, Ware car. Well, I mean, if we're talking Rick Ware as a whole, aren't they really good in sports cars? Uh, opening up a can of worms I don't want to <laughs> open here. <laughs> but um, no, uh, Bump Day was big. Um, Pole Day was also big. Um, insane lap times. The only people or the only person that has a faster lap at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is Ari Leyendike because he had an insane two hundred and thirty seven point something mile an hour lap record Damn. that will never be beaten. How? Um, how how did what? <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> uh it was a practice lap. Uh, he probably got a toe or something, mm. but it was just one of those insane laps that nobody will ever be able to recreate. Hmm. Um, so it wasn't in qualifying, it was in practice. 
No, but he had he still has the qualifying lap record, but not the four lap average record. Okay. Um but yeah, he ran a two thirty seven something in practice later that week, which is just it's insane. Two and a half miles and your average speed is 237 and you're going through four turns that only have like 13 degrees of banking. Holy crap. Yeah. I do find it interesting, uh, back to Graham Rahal, that 100 Days to Indy just started trying to build him up as a character. Is either in the Long Beach or in the Barber episode where they where they started showing him off and... He was complaining after practice or qualifying or something like how everything hurt and his sciatic nerve was flaring up and all this stuff. And I'm curious now that they've started to build him up as a character, how they're going to play that in the last episode when he gets bumped out of the race. Yeah, um, I wish they would have done this 100 Days to Indy thing for the full season mm-hmm. because I there's so much more to IndyCar than just the Indy 500. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I do wonder how they'll portray that. Uh, they've mm-hmm. been doing a really good job at that show so far. They have. Year. And can I say, I really like Liz Power. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I never thought that a TV show would make me start to like Will Power. Right? I hope, I hope my dad doesn't hear me say that because I won't be getting any more Christmas presents from the family. But I am I'm genuinely invested now in her health and well-being. And like she's just got like the best personality. Like watching her watch him during the barber race was one of the coolest, most heartfelt things I think I've ever watched on any TV show. Yeah, and it seems like every driver has a relationship like that in their life in mm-hmm. that show. It's just it's fun to see the inside of everybody's life like that. And the people that we you know, we see these drivers on the track and we're like treating them as superstars and stuff like that. They're people too, and it's interesting to see that side of them. See, and that's why I keep telling you you need to watch Drive to Survive because you have all these opinions about these F one drivers about I don't a lot of see them. Gunther Steiner's inside <laughs> life. Gunther Steiner's hilarious, <laughs> but besides that, um, you you have all the, you specifically have all these ideas about these F one drivers about all of them being jerks, and some of them are. Some of them genuinely are jerks, but you get to see a completely different side of them on Drive to Survive now. It could be fake. I don't know, because a lot of the stuff in Drive to Survive is fake. They make up a lot of drama just to make it more exciting. So some of these guys could be putting on a show for the camera. I don't know. But either way, they're genuinely entertaining to watch, and I get I feel like I get a different perspective on them than I would just watching them on the race broadcast. I'll check it out at some point, but for now I'll take pride in the fact that IndyCar doesn't need to fabricate excitement in a Netflix TV series. Um so we've got a whole bunch of interesting stories at the Indy 500, and actually today in practice we got another interesting story. Yesterday. No, it's still today. It'll be yesterday when this goes out. Okay. It'll be like two days ago when this comes out. we got to try not to break the fourth wall here. Okay. Well, they're not even hitting the track again until Friday anyway. Okay, So Monday in practice, uh, we had the first crash of the month, uh, Catherine Legg and uh, Stefan Wilson. Um, Stephen Wilson is immediately taken to the hospital. He has a cracked vertebrae, so he will not be racing in, in the 2023 Indianapolis 500, which opens up 
an entirely different world of possibilities for the race. Obviously, we hope uh, Stefan gets better soon. Absolutely. Um, his brother Justin was killed in a crash at Pocono several years ago. Uh, and then so... didn't, didn't um, Stefan almost win the next 500 after that? No. I thought I remembered him almost winning one soon after Justin got killed. No. Really? He's never been super competitive at the 500. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. He started getting rides in the 500 after Justin Wilson got killed, but he's mm-hmm. never been super competitive. Okay. Um. But, uh, yeah, it was not good to see another Wilson brother in an ambulance at a speedway. Um, glad he's okay. Um, obviously he's kind of hurting right now, but he'll be back. Um, but with him not in the car this coming weekend, that opens up a whole new realm of possibilities for dry and Reinbold. Who do they put in that car? Do they race that car? They have already said that they are preparing the backup car. Um, so regardless of who they put in the car, they will start last. Um, but they could sell the car. They could sell the spot. They could put a completely different driver in that car. Um, a couple interesting possibilities that I would be on the lookout for. Um, Sage Karam has driven for driver Reinbold in the past. He has always been fast in an Indy car. Um, even though Chip Ganassi didn't like that he crashed a bunch of his Indy cars. Um, but he's always been fast. He's very good at Indianapolis. Um, Jerry Hildebrand almost won his rookie Indianapolis 500 came as close as you possibly could to winning an Indianapolis 500 and stuffed it in the wall coming out of four on the last lap. I disagree with that. Marco Andretti came closer than he did. Okay. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Another one of those Indianapolis heartbreak stories, but, uh, Jerry Hildebrand, he's been, Good every year he's come to the 500. He's done it in several different teams. Started a Panther racing, uh, moved to Ed Carpenter later. Um, he has raced in the 500 for Dry and Rainbow before. Um, and as far as I know, he's not doing anything on Sunday. So it'd be interesting to see if they give him a call. Um, another theory I've seen tossed around is Graham Rahal hopping in that car. Uh, obviously, he did not make the 500 and is still entered in full-season IndyCar Series points. Um, if he doesn't race, he won't get any points. And I don't know if there's any kind of barriers in his contract. I know Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan races with Honda engines, and Dryan Reinbold races with Chevy. Will Honda let Ray Hall into a Chevy for the 500? Do they understand how much it means to him to be in the race? Or will Ray Hall buy out that car? See, that was my theory, is that they sell the spot to RLL. um, Or I guess he could just get into that car, too. That was my initial theory. Um, I don't know if Sage Karam would be able to or not. I haven't seen an entry list for Xfinity at Charlotte yet. He may be at Charlotte this weekend, which Xfinity race, I guess, wouldn't preclude him from running the 500 but it probably would preclude him from doing any practice before then. The only practice day they have is Friday. Well, I believe Xfinity That's... has practice at Charlotte on Friday. Uh, yeah. Let me see here. I'm sure the weekend schedule's out by now, even if the 
um, if the entry list isn't. I have a feeling that Sage Karam is not a likely possibility for that car because the fact that Ryan Hunter Ray is on that team instead of Sage Karam in the first place this year kind of tells me that Sage Karam wasn't able to do the 500 off the bat anyway. We do have an Xfinity entry list out already. Okay. Uh, let's see here. No, he is not in the Xfinity race. Well, he would be my first call then. Um, yeah. I think if you're Dreyer and Reinbold, you have to be calling Sage Karam. You have to be calling Jerry Hildebrand. You need to get somebody into that car. Yeah. Um, regardless of how it's going to do in the race, you need to have somebody in that car because you earned that spot. Uh, these cars are too expensive to just withdraw them from the race unless you sell your spot. But I don't think with the horrifying weekend that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan had, I don't think they have enough in the financial department to buy another car right now. So they have David Letterman as a co-owner. I'm pretty sure David Letterman could pay for that out of pocket. He probably could, but if he could pay for that out of pocket, why can't he pay for a better team? This is true. Uh, but yeah, we finally had the first crash of the month. Um, glad Catherine legs. Okay. Uh, praying for Stephen Wilson. Um, what else we got? Santino Ferrucci. Yeah. And, where where and did AJ, AJ Foyt, <laughs> the AJ Foyt cars in general? Yeah. Where did Holy AJ Foyt crap. racing come from? So AJ Foyt, obviously legendary four time winner at the Indianapolis 500. His team has not been competitive at all for a long time. And to the point where <laughs> when he got both of his cards into the top 12, uh, reporters are saying, AJ Foyt smiling in Indianapolis again. And that's a beautiful sight in itself. Um, AJ lost his wife earlier this year. Um, his first time back at Speedway without her in a very long time. Um, so an emotional year anyway for AJ, but to have both of his cars this competitive, what a story. And Santino Ferrucci laid it all out on the line. I thought he might have got pole there for a little bit, but that car is easily the best American flag designed car I've ever seen. And it's fast. And he has been very good in the race every year he's shown up here. Um, to the point where I think he's like plus 40 positions all time in the race from his qualifying start. Um, I would look for that 14 car to be up front most of the race. And what about Benjamin Peterson? This is rookie year, and he put that car in the top 12. That tells me how good the AJ Point team is at this track right now in an entirety. And... What a move from AJ Foyt this offseason to get Michael Cannon over from Ganassi into their stable, and what a statement it is from him and the rest of the team to put both cars in the top 12. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. The little bit that I do know about IndyCar, I know that AJ Foyt Racing is not competitive, uh, so I was very surprised to see uh, Ferrucci be as fast as he was, and Peterson too. Um, that was, uh, that was pretty wild to see. Yeah. Um, uh, top 12, we've got all four McLarens, all four Ganassis, both AJ Foyt cars, and then Will Power and Penske and Renus VK and an Ed Carpenter. And that's all it's in your top 12. Um, uh, the only Hondas in there are 
I believe the Ganassi cars. I think everybody else in there's a Chevy, unless AJ Foyt is also a Honda. But uh, all four McLarens in the top twelve, uh, three of them in the top six. Uh, or no, only two of them because Rossi didn't make top six. But final year for Tony Kanon at the Speedway, uh, in his heartfelt letter to the fans at Indianapolis. It'll be weird to not see him back next year, but I have a sneaking suspicion that we will see him back next year. I don't I don't think Tony Kanon's ready to hang it up just yet. Well, isn't this like the fourth time he said it's his last one? It's something like that. And every <laughs> year they keep getting them back. And he just can't yep. get away from it. Um, but it, it's nice to see him do well. He did very well last year in the Ganassi car. And I think the Ganassi cars are going to be better in the race than they were in qualifying. Um which is one of the cool things about Indy 500 qualifying and race weekends. The qualifying cars are completely different than the race cars. Just because you have a good qualifying car doesn't mean you're going to have a good race car. We've seen this with Ed Carpenter cars almost every year. Extremely fast in qualifying and fall off very quickly during the race. So I'm interested to see who can keep their speed and who can't. And experience plays a large part in this. I think Alex Pillow has a good shot to win this race this year, but does he have the experience over the past couple of years? Will he finally be able to break through the entirety of the race? Um, he, he lost to Elio Castroneves when Elio won his fourth race here. That's a good car to finish second behind. Mm -hmm. Maybe he learned something there that he can use this year. Maybe, uh, it'd be interesting to see. Like I, I don't know that much about Alex Pillow, to be completely honest. Like, I haven't. He's fast. Well, yeah, clearly that—that's <laughs> the one thing I do know is he is fast. Um, and he is a champion, isn't he? He is an IndyCar champion. He is also interesting statistic. He is the only driver at Ganassi in the 500 this year that does not have a 500 win. Oh, okay. Dixon has one. Erickson has one, and Takuma Sato has two. Sato's in a Ganassi car? Mm-hmm. That is news to me. He's uh, filling in on the ovals for Marcus Armstrong this year. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, and Sato wrecked his 500 car at Texas a couple of months ago, so even getting this car as competitive as it is in this short amount of time is impressive. Yeah. But it it's really cool to see the McLarens doing their Triple Crown paint scheme throwback for this month. Uh, Alexander Rossi is throwing it back to Johnny Rutherford's 1974 Indianapolis 500 win. Uh, Felix Rosenquist is throwing it back to the McLaren MP42 uh, Monaco win with uh, Alan Prost, I believe. And Pato Ward is throwing it back to the 90s when McLaren won at Le Mans with the F1. Um, it's an off-black car. It looks super cool. But those three cars and Tony Cannon's, which is a weird paint scheme. It looks good, but it's weird. Uh, just three stars making up that car. They're good looking cars and they look good on track and they look fast. Yes. Yes, they did. I mean, McLaren's been fast all year, so that really shouldn't be surprising. I think, though, uh, unless there's anything else you want to talk about Indy related, I think it's time for predictions. Uh, carb day coming up on Friday, uh, nothing on Saturday, and then the big race on Sunday, and then the Coke 600 after that. And Monaco in the morning. We don't care about that. <laughs>
it's the triple crown of uh the biggest day of motorsports and then you got xfinity and trucks and arca this weekend too big weekend good, good thing the people that are racing in the two races that matter aren't awake to see the first one <laughs> right um actually monaco i don't think starts till like 8 a.m yeah eastern probably, something like that so i, I mean it's already be it's terrible track by then so yeah we'll see how that goes it's a bright and early sunday morning for me every year yeah all right so your weekend schedule uh the arca race is on friday at 5 30 p.m from charlotte followed by the trucks at 8 30 so arca trucks doubleheader on friday from charlotte uh tyler who you got for the truck race what do i have for the truck race i'm gonna go with christian eckes um he's been having a heck of a season so far this year he did not do well at wilkesboro though he did not do well at wilkesboro and i think that's gonna fuel him to come back and slap everybody in the face at charlotte this weekend (laughs) okay fair enough um i'm gonna pull a tyler and go with zane smith here because um i just think zane smith is gonna be super fast i mean it's hard to pick against him although he's had a bad couple weeks in a row here so May not be a good time to pick Zane Smith, but at the same time, it's also very hard to pick against uh, Zane Smith really any week. Um, Saturday, Xfinity from Charlotte will be at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Oh, the truck or on FS1. The truck race is also on FS1. And the Arca race is also on FS1. So, Ooh, Tyler, who you got on FS1? Yes. Nice. Oh, all the main Arca races are on FS1 this year. I think a couple are on FS2, but they're all on Fox of some sort. Hey, more exposure. Good for them. Yep. Um, all right, who you got for Arca? For Arca? Uh, not Arca, Xfinity. For Xfinity, I'm going to go with Josh Berry. I've picked him... A couple too many times a season, he's turning into my Zane Smith for the Xfinity Series, but I think those JRM cars are going to be very competitive, and I think he's the best one out of that stable, and I think he's going to be able to get the win at Charlotte this year. I mean, he did win this race last year, so I can't say that uh, that's a bad pick. Same time, I'm going to pick the guy that finished third last year, uh, Josh's teammate, Sam Mayer. I think Sam Mayer finally picks up his first win in the Xfinity Series, and uh, kind of like finally puts his name more on the map out there. He's had a lot of bad luck this season. I think he finally turns it around and finally gets to victory lane. He's been fast, and this would be a statement win. It would be. All right. On Sunday, first race of the day will be F1 from Monaco, 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, that'll be on ESPN of some sort. Um, IndyCar will be the next race on Sunday. That coverage starts at 11. What, what time is the actual green flag? Is it one? I believe it's noon. Um, noon, a couple minutes. Noon. 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 Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, IndyCar noon, something like that. Coverage starts at 11, but I can't Watch seem the to find what the actual green flag is. Yeah. Pre-race is really good for Indy 500. Who you got for the 500? I am going to go with Alexander Rossi. He won this race in 2016 in a fuel mileage race. He's competitive for a couple years after that and has fallen off recently. His car was not the best in 
top 12 qualifying because they took way too much wing out of it and the car just turned evil on him. I think he's going to have a really good race setup. He is very good at this track, and I think he's going to be there the whole race. Not a bad pick. I think he's finally due for that first win with McLaren. I, though, if you've listened to any of the past podcasts for the past probably four to six weeks, I've made my pick very clear. I am settled, even though by practice speeds, it does not look like he's going to be super competitive, but you never know at Indy. I still think Roma Grosjean wins the Indy 500 and picks up his first IndyCar win on the biggest stage of them all. Romain Grosjean wins the Indy 500. I think you got a good, solid pick there. Uh, the Andretti car did not do well in qualifying. Um, it's been well documented by Marco Andretti himself, who kind of drug the team under the bus in every interview afterwards. But they have good balance. Uh, those cars did not fall off very much over the course of their four-lap runs, which means you're probably going to have a good race car. Um, I think Colton Hurd is probably the fastest out of that stable right now. But I think Grosjean's got a good shot. He hopefully learned a lot last year when he crashed in the Indianapolis 500. And hopefully he will not do that again because I'm sure it wasn't too comfy the first time. No, I would say it probably was not. All right, on to the final race of the weekend, the Coca-Cola 600 from Charlotte. NASCAR's longest race, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Big Fox Sunday night. Tyler. Who you got winning the 600? I'm going to go with Kyle Larson this year. He has been on a tear. I think this is Kyle Larson revenge summer number two. Um, what can you not like about Kyle Larson? He's won in every car he's ever stepped foot in. And that makes me interested to see what he can do in the Indy 500 next year. But I don't understand how you could have watched the last couple of races and not pick Kyle Larson. He has been a menace on the mile and a half recently. Uh, all the Hendrick cards have, and he's done very well at Charlotte in the past, so I'm picking Kyle Larson. As long as he doesn't get into Denny on the final lap again like yeah, Kansas. <laughs> Alright, so that is a solid pick, though. Um, you seem to always go with the very easy picks. You you get all the softballs. It's Zane Smith in trucks, Josh Berry in Xfinity, Larson in Cup, uh, never see you really going out on a limb with these picks. Um, I though am definitely going to go out on a limb. Somebody that has showed more speed recently. And I think, uh, is finally due for a first win with a, it's not really his new team anymore. It's a second year with this team being a co-owner of this team. I think Brad Keselowski wins the Coke 600 for his first win in that six car for Roush Fenway Keselowski and finally puts up his first win with the team. Bushers won a race with them already uh, last year at Bristol. So I think Keselowski finally gets that first win. I think it comes this weekend in the 600. Keselowski's been close a couple times in that six car, and it would be a heck of a story to see that number six car back in victory lane. And Brad Keselowski himself back in victory lane. It's been a quite a long time since we've seen that, which is not what we're used to seeing from Brad Keselowski. Maybe it's his time. Well, it's not what we're used to seeing, but at the same time, before he came to RFK, he was in one of the best cars in the field. Penske was at the top of its game when he was there, so it 
I'm not going to say it was easy for him to win, but it was easier than it has been. That being said, RFK has shown a lot more speed this year than they showed last year for the most part. So if he doesn't win this week, I think he will win at least one race before the end of the year. But I think that first win comes this weekend. But I think that is all we got for this week. So Tyler, any last thoughts before we head into the biggest day of motorsports of the year? Just excited for the weekend. Uh, Everybody enjoy the races you're watching. And if you're going to one, enjoy it even more. Absolutely. So at that, uh, yeah, as Tyler said, enjoy the races this weekend. And we will see you next week. Same time, same place to recap all of the what I'm sure will be craziness of the weekend from Indy, Charlotte, Monaco, and everywhere in between. At that, this has been the Rookie Stripes Podcast on Racing News Now. I'm Garth, that's Tyler. 